Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic violence. I'm pre-recording this show, so I cannot accept any call-ins tonight. If you're listening tonight and would like to get in touch with me, email me at shereencwr at gmail.com. Let me spell that out for you. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I'd like to give a shout out tonight to my friend Trevor. I'd like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night now at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, 8 Central Time. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to those services, you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalknetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. Let me share some things uh, about my guest tonight, Sarah Stiles. She's a musician from Australia. She writes, produces, and composes her own music. She is amazing. She has endured uh, domestic abuse, and she writes songs to help herself and others. And so that's what we're going to be sharing with you tonight. Let me tell you a little bit about her. In 1994, she played the flute um, for an oratorio. 1996, she played a flute and sang for an oratorio and was a chorus member of Les Miserables. Over the following 20 years, she wrote the music for the first multicultural festival in Ipswich, the city she grew up in, marched in the Olympic Torch Relay Parade, was a repertoire for the Ipswich Music Theater Company, sang lead in a Gilbert and Sullivan opera, played piano and flute and piccolo in their orchestra, sung at a scene from La Boheme with Gordon Harris from the QLD Opera Chorus, was Ruben's wife in Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat, played music for art gallery openings and for the Shakespeare, Shakespearean Ensemble. Then in 2013, sang in the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra Chorus for Lord of the Rings. And she's also had the privilege uh, to conduct the Ipswich City Council Volunteers Choir, an Indigenous Choir, and the City's Senior Choir. There have been a few private functions along the way and community workshops. She is currently writing six mini-musicals to be performed one after the other and perform an annual concert in her private studio where she also teaches. She hopes uh, you will enjoy her music, and I hope uh, it helps you in your healing journey. And here is Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah Stiles, and um, I live in Queensland, Australia. Um, Today I'm going to share with you some of my music and how I've used music to help me face uh, trauma. Um, so thank you for having me and hearing my story. Uh, I'll s- start with, I guess, that I'm second generation. Um, my mother uh, was an incest victim apart from... Um, neglect and and other things and um, kidnapped by her father at 11 and all these different things that she had and 
you know, it's not her life story, but I know that I only know the tip of the iceberg and what I know is horrific. Um, then, uh, so I'm the oldest of four girls and um, I accidentally found out, uh, me and the, the other, uh, us two older ones, accidentally found out uh, about mum's incest when we were seven and eight. And um, obviously that did have a lasting effect on us. Um, it affected us in some similar ways, but also in some different ways, um, based on our personalities. And uh, so from then on, I did have some mental health issues. Uh, as a teenager, I I definitely had um, so this, a lot of similar things, uh, mental issues that rape victims have. And um, I started to recognise that slowly, but I also had um, other undiagnosed uh, genetic issues, so uh, chronic illness and disability that were genetic, but um, you couldn't really tell very well from the outside. So there were a lot of um, unknown things going on. Uh, I didn't understand PTSD, and even when my mum told me later on that I had it, I really didn't know what she was talking about, why she thought I had it. She was the abuse, the one who was abused, not me. Um, and I, I really struggled to understand anything or to put anything into perspective at all for a very, very, well, for decades. So um, when I was six, my mum introduced me to the piano. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I didn't even know what it was, how to play it or anything. I just knew that that was what my calling was. <laughs> so I started lessons and I progressed pretty quickly and I was loving it. Then when I was eight, I had a strong desire to compose music. I had no idea what I was doing. And for a very long time, for many, many years, um, I came up with great little themes, but I hadn't, I couldn't figure out how to develop the music and back in the 80s and 90s teachers didn't have support groups on Facebook and and they didn't have access to everything that we have these days so um, it was a done thing that when a student wanted to um, explore jazz or explore composing explore other things than just their exam pieces um, most of the teachers would just say no so um, as an adult in my in my started to dabble in my teens but mainly my 20s and 30s I really started to figure out the meaning of music the purpose of music why we all need it so much and um, it was through discovering that I learned how to compose and express through music what words cannot express it's too limited to express it also gave me a voice I really didn't understand myself I really didn't understand my thoughts and my feelings and so when I was um, experiencing something um, more than the average day I would write it as a piano solo and then I would get my mum to visit and I'd play it for her and asked I asked her to describe to me what she heard 
And she, I mean, apart from the fact that she's just the most amazing, wise person with a sixth sense and she knew me, um, she was able to put that music into words so succinctly. And I'd always celebrate because I had my words. I couldn't find words. <laughs> I could only find it in feelings. And so my only language was music. So um, I'm going to, I've done some recordings here at home that I'd like to share with you. Uh, uh, they are only recorded on a phone at home. But um, uh, I think part of the beauty of that is really being able to hear the, the heart and soul and it's not being turned into anything other than that. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I always felt uh, so guilty. I felt like such a bad daughter. <laughs> I I couldn't I couldn't give my mum what she wanted, and of course I couldn't. I I couldn't give her what she needed, and uh, and uh, no kid could in the situation we were in. And so, uh, the Brisbane radio station B one hundred five at that time. Uh, had the, a weekly uh, weekly program where they would surprise somebody in need with what they need. And um, I love listening to that. So I decided that uh, since nobody could give the, anything my mum that she needed, like there was nothing uh, physical or tangible that she needed. So I wrote her life story to music um, to let her know that she was seen and she did have worth. Uh, I remember the impact that that made at the time, even though we still had many years of fighting left to go because I was extremely confused and frustrated about who I was and what was going on with me. Then I remember I had an opportunity to get a grant to record a CD. It's not done well. I spent $2,000 on it and it's it, it's oh, a bit less than that, but it, it wasn't done well. I still hadn't found my voice. I'd not had singing lessons, so I was using my voice all wrong. I was so... Um, unsure of myself in every way <laughs> um, but I recorded this CD and I I remember selling a few copies at the art gallery where I was volunteering uh, and one of the old men Idris he came up to me one day and yes I was heavy-handed because I hadn't been taught proper technique on the piano and so he came up to me one day and he commented on a particular section in this uh, piano solo I had written of my mother's life describing her life and it's called the celebration suite because I wanted to focus on celebrating her life instead of everything else, all the suffering it had caused. And and so he approached me one day, I'm in my early 20s, and he commented on this section saying that Beethoven can play loudly without it being so um, harsh. So without even thinking, I <laughs> I looked at him and I softly said, Beethoven wasn't playing incest it just came out and uh the look on his face <laughs> said it all he just turned around and walked away and I'll never forget that moment um I haven't I don't have a recording of that for you today but um I will share with you um a piece of music 
the theme I wrote as a teenager. Uh, so the very first verse of this piece called Facing the Unknown, I wrote uh, as a teenager. Uh, it was definitely expressing that everything in our life was so unknown and that's why we were all struggling and just flailing around so much, everyone in my family, because everything was still such an unknown um it's then in my 30s i used that theme to write a short film which can also be performed as a mini musical um about ruth and naomi because it dawned on me that that was the most amazing love story one of the most amazing love stories in the scriptures and uh it was all about women it was about so much in the scriptures Everything about the women's experiences is unspoken. You're told of Dinah being raped. You're told, you know, um, certain stories and what life, the basic, uh, what basically what life was like for women. But you really uh, don't get to hear from the women themselves. And Ruth and Naomi is pretty much the only one of the very rare times in the scriptures where you actually get to hear more about what life was like um, for these particular women. And so only men had written music for Ruth and Naomi. So I decided that I needed to write for them because they represent women. They just represent all women. And so I ex- I used that basic theme and extended it. This is a small part of what I have written for Ruth and Naomi. There's a whole section of Naomi. This, what I'm going to play for you today, is um, what Ruth sings in response to Naomi. Uh, And then the piano solo afterwards uh, is basically their travelling music. And even if we're not physically travelling to a new country, a new culture, uh, we... They were still facing so much that was unknown. They were leaving so much behind. They were facing so much that was unknown. And they would have been experiencing such a wide gamut of emotions. We experience that as women. Just by being a woman in this world, we still have that experience. And so uh, this is called Facing the Unknown.
so I got married at 19. Uh, he was also um, a victim of childhood abuse, um, sexual, physical, well, every way, actually. And um, I, mum and I later figured out that uh, I married him because I couldn't help my mum. I couldn't do anything to help her situation, so um, I subconsciously married him. And, you know, typical 19-year-old, that's the age <laughs> um, for thinking that way, that you'll be the one that will change his life and change him. And um, I also, we both thought that nobody would ever have us. Um, we met at a church dance when we were 16 and 17, um, got married at 19 and 20. Um, both of us messed up, different type of messed up. And I didn't see, I didn't see uh, any of the negatives about him. I only saw what my heart wanted to see. Um, my mother warned me, but I, I went ahead and I married him anyway. She warned me that if I marry him, I would never be his wife. He'd always want me to be his mother. Uh, it turned out he was very controlling <laughs> and um, he still loves that control to this day. And uh, that is a whole other story. And so um, we were married for one year. Uh, I'd been having this recurring dream. And then I had not told anybody about it. And then uh, it was sort of like this bittersweet scenario where uh, we loved each other, but he had to go and we would never see each other again kind of dream. And... Um, and then this was a few months into the marriage and then my mother said to me, look, I know that you're newlyweds, but there's no shame in getting separated, being separated for a while. Um, other couples have done it and it can help. Um, and uh, as soon as she said that, the dream made sense. Separating was not going to fix anything. It wasn't going to do my marriage any good. So I actually filed for a divorce and... Um, uh, I ended up only um, being married for one year and uh, he left when our son was two months old and um, now here I was, I, had, I was still very much in the dark, a new mum, so not ready to be a mum, um, wasn't the kind of thing I dreamed of as a kid either, I, I never really, I dreamt of a career, um, <laughs> but that was never going to happen, being messed up, and so I, um, <laughs> again, I started turning to music, uh, after he left, I had this freedom, uh, he, he was trying to control my contact with my family, the only friends in my life were his friends, all of that sort of thing. So initially the only thing I felt was freedom and ended up writing this little song um, that went something like this. Woke up this morning, looked out the window, feeling fine with freedom on my mind. Yeah, freedom on my mind. Woke up this morning, yesterday you left, you said goodbye. Now I'm smiling all the time. Can't help this wondering what life will be for me. Cause baby, you don't see what life can really be. No, no, you think you know me, but I know this is silly. 
We live so differently. Woke up this morning, walked out the door, I'm feeling fine. I'm ready to live life and make my mark in time. This sun is shining brightly and smiling down on me. So happy now that I am free. I had no idea, um, but I was free of him. I was free of his controlling ways. I was free of his abuse, uh, which I didn't recognise all of it um, at the time until I had to write out my letter to the judge as to why I was filing for divorce. And there was so much more of it than I that had occurred to me. So there was that. Um, over the years... Uh, I was still completely miserable, completely lost in such a dark abyss with no idea how I was going to get out of it. Um, then at 23, I found out about the Yet Camp Youth Enterprise Trust holds um, a camp once a month and um, they have four leaders, two men, two women, and they take... 16 to 24 year olds out into the bush like hours out into the bush there is nothing but bush and we lived like the early 1900s we had the donkey to heat the water we had um homemade showers we had all of the things you know no electricity no running water we had nothing like that and um they do that and you're you're gone for a week some of that time you actually spend on a farm working on a farm but um, there was, we weren't allowed any tents either. So we were sleeping under the stars. We just had a tarp if it was raining. And I did this in June. And June in Australia is winter time. And we were in um, southern central Queensland, which gets quite cold during the night. Uh, we would wake up covered in ice. Everything was white. And we did this without a tent. Now, I loved it. <laughs> I thought that was the one of the best things I'd ever done. Um, the rest of them were 16, except for one who was 19. And she was the most messed up out of all of us. And she, I don't know, um, yeah, uh, abused all through foster care and stuff. And she was in a very, very bad way. And so we were um, uh, separated from a family, which I thought at the time was fantastic because it meant that I could freely feel what was inside without the threat of hurting my family, <laughs> without the threat of hurting my mum or offending my mum. But I just, I thought that everything that was inside of me would hurt my mother and I, I had no idea absolutely no idea that if I had have shared that with my mum she would have seen it for what it was she would have seen where it was coming from and I wouldn't have hurt her it was actually thinking that way and therefore keeping it to myself that was making me so sick and actually causing all of our fights and that led to some pretty bad things happening so I um I wrote a song when I come home from that yet camp um, it was based on my mother, actually, um, on us being, on her sending me off into this camp and um, being separated from her. 
Um, I couldn't, I didn't write exactly about the camp. I, you know, I wrote that my, my telephone was broken um, because people would understand that, but really there was no telephone. And so while I wrote it to make it sound like it was a love song, um, it was uh, between a man and a woman. It was actually um, based on the fact that my mother, who was the significant person in my life, um, we were separated for that time and um, could not contact each other even by mail and um, and I had that space and that sort of showed me what was inside of me. So um, the song It's Time For Me To Say Goodbye um, was written based on that experience. That was the first time I saw the ugliness inside of me that I felt toward her old man. Um, and um, But I didn't even begin, I wasn't even about to begin to face any of that yet at this stage. So here is, um, it's time for me to say... Share of strife, and I know there'll be more. 
at some point in my early 20s, I I wrote a song about my ex-husband. Um, he was, wow, was he in a bad way? Um, he was either trying to completely control me, getting angry with me because well, life is life and it doesn't go the way that we want it to go. So that was always my fault. The slightest change in plans and I was in trouble for that. Um, So it was either doing all of that or he was um, sobbing in the fetal position in the corner of the back room and then running away. And I, you know, I didn't know where he was or how long he would be gone. Um, And things just kept going backwards and forwards between those two states and uh so and whatever those two states brought with them so I ended up writing a song called All the Times uh and it was just a really simple way of trying to it was just getting out of my system how crazy the whole situation was um so yeah, all the times. <laughs> um, that that's what that one's all about. Um, I at the time was also uh, wanted to put my hand at writing uh, an an opera, a type of opera. Um, it's sort of what I naturally sang. My voice naturally is geared toward opera, and so um, I thought, why not? Let's write a, a modern day one. Um, and looking back at it all now, everything that I wrote, I, I ditched the project after I wrote um, a few scenes, but um, it was, uh, I had used some things that mum had told me about certain experiences she'd had in her life, but because I hadn't worked myself out yet, um, looking back now, I can see how totally useless <laughs> the material, the the storyline and the lyrics, um, how most of it actually is. Um, I, uh, I I did write some amazing music for it, so I've kept the music and I, I've been slowly reusing it for other things, changing the words and, and developing it into other things over the years. One thing, though, that I haven't reused and I, I didn't chuck out uh, is this song where in the story this young woman faces her family. Her father has abused her. Her mother has turned a blind eye. Her siblings have called her a liar. It did not happen. And so um, <laughs> I kind of, I still like this music. So... Um, It basically goes, damn you for smiling, damn all your lies, I won't be the one that you despise, forget your sorries, I said not to lie, haven't you noticed what they really mean? You have tried to hush me with your costly gifts, you think this will make it right, never, never, stupid man. And it goes on with... um, you knew you were hurting me. You didn't miss a trick. Um, you had all the power and then now the power dwells with me. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really still, until you, um, until you really face your demons, you don't really, there's so much that you can't voice. And so it all comes out 
in the ways that it comes out that other people cannot understand. Um, sometimes even yourself, you don't even understand half the stuff that can come out of your mouth or that you decisions that you make or the way that you describe things. Um, so um, I, I think I'll always keep that piece of paper with that on there. Um, then we move on a number of years later where um, I've sort of just trying to, you know, make life work in whatever way I could. And this one particular week, I was really, really ill. I still had no idea about my chronic illness or about my disability. Um, I just knew that um, I thought that I was lazy. Um, and it wasn't that at all. I was chronically depressed and chronically ill. And, you know, well, yeah, that says it all. Anyway, this one particular time, I was uh, sick on top of all of that. And I was in bed. Now, the power of being in bed everyone knowing that I was sick. So there were no expectations of me that week. Um, but my mind was just going and going on me. And and I thought I, I really, I wanted to put all of that energy and all of those thoughts somewhere. And I ended up um, writing down these lyrics of, um, which I, I, I turned into a song um, in bed, called The Way of Your Power. Oh my gosh, this song is, everybody, like every time I performed this song live, everyone has come up to me about it at the end. Like I've, I'm not everyone, but I've always had people come up to me um, and mention this song to me at the end of the performance. When people hear it on my CD, they, they always make a comment about this particular song for obvious reasons. We all come across evil in our lives. Uh, we all come across the the power of the adversary in whatever way that displays in your life, we all come across it. And so it's a song that everybody relates to. So this song, here is, um, here is the next song called The Way of Your Power. you 
Um, throughout my 30s, I decided that um, I, I used music a lot. I penned a lot of themes. Um, I had no idea what to do with them, though. I had no idea how to develop them or, you know, they, they spoke something that I was experiencing, but I pretty much just kept them for me. Um, I ended up being able to get through um, the last of everything. I think I did pretty much the bulk of my personal work from 35 to 40. Um, yeah, there's reasons behind that. Uh, my mum saw that nothing was ever going to get better and we couldn't have a relationship and that was, it was just so, uh, so painful um, it seemed like I hated her and, you know, cause I, I shut down and, and I went numb and all of this stuff. So it's, it just seemed like, and it felt to her like hatred. And, um, of course it was never that. So I went away. I went to Melbourne for a year. Um, and I, I just thought, she's like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to, to, to get out of this state, to get on the path that you need to be on? And I just, that question sat with me. And the next day I said, I just need to go away. Because being, you know, living uh, close to my mum, uh, she was always there. My, my family was always there. Um, so no matter what effort I put in, like nothing was actually helping um, I'd have prayers to God um, over the years, just in desperation saying, look, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's wrong with me. And, and this, I don't know what to do about it, but I know you do. But more importantly, you know the right time. And I'm just going to carry on, even though it's this painful mess of carrying on. Um, I know I just, you know, I'm happy. I'm willing to live this misery and this darkness, knowing that at some point in the future, you're going to say, now's the time you're going to open up the path. And, you know, I just sort of would say things like that to God. And um, then in 2013, that is exactly what happened. And I went to Melbourne and I was there for that year. Um, and I had some light bulb moments while I was there. I had some phone calls with mum. Um, I didn't really have contact with anyone else. I left my son, who was a young teenager at the time, with my parents. Yes, he felt abandoned then by both parents, <laughs> um, but um, he's 20 now and <laughs> at 20 he's worked through it all and I'm just I'm mind blown. I know that he's had um, the family and all of that and like that, you know, my mum definitely didn't have and the circumstances were easier for him than what they were for me. But he still chose to accept life for what it is. He still chose to work through it. And I'm so proud of him. Um, so um, I, I learned in Melbourne, it finally dawned on me what God's love is. <laughs> um, and so I, that was the year that I learned to trust his love. And that was um because i had decided that i could you know what his love was actually like um and i i knew that i could trust that he loves me no matter what and i thought i was just the worst person um that that meant that i could be okay with who i was and where i was at at that point in time without having to put any effort into making anything better in that point in time 
I could be okay. And that was when um, I started to see things that was that I just couldn't see before, that I was, my mind was too dark. My heart was too dark to see before. And so um, I came home from Melbourne and then over the next year, mum and I were able to, um, mum was able to help me to see clearly and um, she was able, we were able to just work it all out and it was wonderful. And I've been able to have, um, get on my feet and really celebrate who I am, love who I am in that uh, from age 35 to 40. And so um, I had written at some point a theme, you know, a piano solo, uh, which in the I ended up calling Determination. Uh, again, it was something, and this was in my early 30s, but it's something that I really became, uh, began to appreciate and understand more in my, la- you know, my late 30s. I called it Determination because it really describes what it's like, I think, that when you have to be so determined, so, so determined, and when that's all you've got to rely on, um, you have nothing else, you have no one else, you just have to be determined, and while you're facing stuff, and even when, you know, you're, you're appreciating some of the softer and lovelier sides of life, that, that inward determination for the inside journey that you're experiencing it never wanes it doesn't ever lessen it's always there you've got to be so determined all of the time to keep going and to um to just rise above even if it's just a fraction rise above the baseness of this world that we're in and even though that might be where we start out then it becomes staying on top of everything so that you I don't know it's like those big journeys you know epic journey movies like Lord of the Rings or something where that determination just is always there no matter what's going on and then um, so I wrote that And it was my favourite piece of music and I used to play it all the time. And then uh, later on, I, uh, I don't know, I wanted to explore my, my ability as a composer. So I just sat down at the piano and I started to just play um, rhythms and and, and experiment with rhythms and chords in a way that I never had done before. Now, while I didn't have a specific theme in mind when I started, it was always something where I wanted it to be uh, full of life and I wanted it to tell the story of, you know, the road is rocky kind of thing. And um, so I finished writing this piece of music and I never felt like I was much of a composer because like I, I knew I was a good composer but um, I thought that um, I didn't think that I could compose if somebody gave me a story and said here I want you to put this to music and so I sort of felt less than where I wanted to be and then it dawned on me that it didn't matter if um, that I didn't have a, a story before I wrote this or not 
what mattered was that I had something in me that I wanted to tell. And so essentially, even though consciously, I didn't think of a complete storyboard and I didn't have, you know, it worked out before, um, that most composers don't anyway. They've got this basic idea and they allow the music to do the talking and they trust the music. And that is exactly what I've always done. That is exactly what I did this time. I finished writing the piece of music and then only about one or two weeks later, I got a phone call from a lady I had met um, through uh, a meetup app. And um, she was from Syria she her mother had been terribly abusive than her husband was and then you've got all the mess going on in Syria and um she's now divorced with a, a young child and she had fled Syria she came to Australia on her own and she had made a new life for herself and um she has done very well and uh, you know this app it's a called meetup and you can create groups to try and connect with people on a common interest in the community and I'd come across this app somehow I don't remember and I saw her group there for women she wanted to help women um, since she'd been given an amazing second chance at life and so um, while the group wasn't really what I needed and it was actually making me feel more depressed um, I had connected with her so she had rung me and she said look I've written my autobiography um, and I I, I would like you to please write some music for the book launch. Um, and so uh, as soon as she said that, and I already knew the basics of a life story, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got the music. I've got the music for you. So I invited her around and I played this music for her and she was just, yes, that's it. And she, she, we put the story to it. Uh, her husband was, used to beat her. And, um, you know, when they had a baby in the house and everything, and so she put all this story to the music and what was happening at what point in time. And um, it starts out with being beaten and trying to appease the abuser. And then he, he you know, he, he does what he does. And then he leaves, leaving, you know, her to clean up the house and sweep up all the broken glass and try and tend to her baby and how she leaves and then she's um, living with all the PTSD and then toward the end of the piece is when she's trying to go to the park with her toddler and she's trying to um, be around other people and she still can't socialise but she's putting in the effort and she's regaining that and towards the end of the piece it's where she's she pictures herself standing on top of a mountain with her arms wide open um, to the world. And so we did that. But I also know that even when you get to that place, you're still not quite there yet. You've sort of, you know, come to understand your PTSD and stuff, but you've now got to make that new life. And so this is where I've now put determination onto the end. I've made them one and this is going to be made into a short film, um, actually. And so um, we have the first piece of music called Whilst Dreaming in Shadows. And then I have, uh, I go on to play Determination that I wrote a decade ago uh, before, you know, a decade before Whilst Dreaming in Shadows. And it completes then the story. Um, because when you watch movies and things, most of them, there is an end 
there is no end. We're still alive. We still have to remain dogged. We still have to remain determined. But we have everything that we've gained from that experience that whilst dreaming and shadows talks about so i really hope that you enjoy that music
The last thing I'd like to share with you is a song called PTSD and Me. I ended up going to a DV support group. Um, My goodness, the groups that my mother had available to her back when she needed them really weren't that fantastic. Everyone just sat there saying nothing. Um, But uh, today they've definitely improved. I went to a support group and every week had a different theme. And um, the thing that really, really, really stood out to me was when they they brought up the f- how everyone says, well, why can't the woman do something for herself? Why can't she get out of this situation? Why can't she leave? Why can't she whatever? And um, what they brought up was, I mean, the, the example of being beaten, obviously there are many types of abuse, but in the example of being physically beaten, um, if anybody is being physically beaten up, what do they do? they go into the fetal position, don't they? Because that's the safest position that they can be in at that moment. And so they were saying, so therefore she is protecting herself. A woman in that situation is protecting herself. And I just thought, oh my goodness, that really, really changes how you view everything. And that had such a great impact on me. It really helped me come to peace with um, really, I mean not so much come to peace with because I've already found my peace, but um, see much clearer why I've had certain reactions in my life. And it's helped me see all of this so much clearer with me, with other people that I've met and just in general, the whole thing makes more sense. And so um, then... Uh, I I was competing in the Steadfords because um, I couldn't never had a career. I was too emotionally, mentally, and physically unwell to study and have a career and and, and live life. So I was singing in Steadfords every year, and um, there was another woman I had met uh, through I think the music theatre company that I would play for sometimes and sung in a few shows with them. Um, small things and so um, I'd met this this other woman and she had her own experience and she had her own PTSD and so I the Queensland Steadford um, travels around all around Queensland and it just so happened that it was going to be in Ipswich it was going to be in my city that year um, or that next year and so I went to this woman and I said I've never had an opportunity to sing a duet in a competition and I would love to do that are you interested she said she'd love to and then I said look you're writing your own music you you know she just started dabbling so she had some exploring yet to still do but um, I loved what she was producing thus far and I said look why don't we write our own duet and it dawned on me we both have PTSD why don't we write a duet about that? Why don't we write about it? Then we can sing it. I didn't care whether we won or not. I really couldn't care less what even the adjudicator said because I know what adjudicators pick on. That's their job. Um, But um, I just thought hundreds of people are in the audience for the Queensland, for a state of Steadford. You've got hundreds of people how many people would actually get to hear a song um, that actually describes PTSD? Um, I've only ever heard songs um, when people write songs about their depression and things like that. They're always written in the same simple pop music pattern. And so they're relying on the lyric to get the message across. And I do not work that way. 
yeah, words are so limited. I I write the music to get the message across so that the listener can have an experience. I can experience what I'm expressing. And um, the lyric is just the bonus. <laughs> and so um, I was quite excited. Um, it didn't end up happening at all. We, neither of us entered the Estedford. She didn't write it with me. It's not a duet. But I did end up writing the song PTSD and Me. I sent a basic idea of the song to different people that I knew around the world who, you know, because by then I'd discovered, I'd understood my PTSD and my my mum had already always said I had it, even though it was different to hers, um, because there are different types. I've got the common one, my mum has got the complex one, she's compounded, impacted grief syndrome and all that stuff. Um, So... um, I I thought, well, what if, because I wrote it from my experience, what if only the common type experience, um, understand it or, you know, what if. But no, I, um, everyone that I sent it to said that I just, um, that was it in a nutshell. Um, so I'm very, very pleased. The last song that I'd like to share with you, um, very pleased to present my song PTSD and Me. Um, I'd love some feedback on any of this um, and I'd just like to finish off um, by saying that um, in whatever ways we express ourselves, for me it just happens to be music, whether you um, write poetry and I put, I've put a lot of poems to music for people over the years as well um, because music really enhances the expression of the poem and so I, I, that's sort of become a, a little business on the side for me now turning people's poems or people's journal entries into songs, recording it for them and sending them a recording. Um, Because I want people to have a proper expression of their experience. Um, And so um, I think if there's anything that I'd like people to take away from this is that um, don't forget the purpose of the arts. Don't forget the purpose of life. Don't forget the purpose of being human. It seems to me that the world has forgotten the purpose of all those things. We're not allowed to be human beings. We're not allowed to express ourselves. And when we do, um, even in churches, people sort of clam up and, and walk away because they're afraid. They think that you share this with them because you want them to fix it. You don't want people to fix it. You just you just want someone to listen. You just want basic human kindness. You just want basic human connection. And that we've all forgotten. The world has forgotten what it means to be human. And, and you know, it's those things that make being human beautiful. <laughs> no matter what horrible pain life has brought to us, it's those it's those connecting moments um, and you can connect in a, without even speaking. Um, you know, when my mum would put the, a record on full ball and lie down on the wooden floor so that she could feel the vibrations of the music going through her, um, you know, I remember one time just lying down next to her. She knew I was there. She, was, she knew I knew she was suffering and there was nothing I could do about it. So I just lay there next to her, feeling the vibrations of that music going through my body.
song heaven bound this is why i wrote heaven bound can't believe i forgot that one um i would like to leave you with heaven bound this is why i wrote that song (laughs) because of that experience i had with my mother lying on the floor next to her feeling the vibrations of this music going through our bodies listening to each other breathe hearing our spirits talk when you're when there's nothing physically that you can say you can just sit with a person and the impact of that is immense and this is the message i'd like to get out to churches to congregations to um, organizations just to families oh my gosh to families you can just sit and just be kind And I really think that that's what God means when he says, talks about charity, that charity never fails. I think that he was referring to just kindness. And I think that people pay so much attention to being nice that they completely miss what it is to be kind because nice is different. And nice doesn't necessarily bring about kindness either. In fact, in most cases, I've noticed it does not. So, um... Thank you for listening and for, um, I really, um, I'd love to hear back um, anything 
your experiences or in any way that anything that this has brought out for you I would love to hear that so thank you very much and I'll say goodbye
Sarah, I truly love your music. It's so beautiful, and it brings such a spirit to the show. In closing, I would like to thank Sarah for sharing her music and how it has helped so many healing from trauma and domestic abuse. Next week, we will hear from Stacy Harris. She spoke about six or eight months ago on being happy, and she owns Soul Sister Solutions, and she will be talking about being happy and a few other things to help us move forward in our journey of healing. Thank you for listening tonight. My loves to all, and stay on your journey of healing.